So in the Snyderverse, there is only turmoil and hatred, just like the DC Snyderverse. It is a complete and utter mess. I was going to say, yeah, there's definitely the space for some kind of Twitter to have uh, released the Snyder Cut. those crappy teams and we're down to well probably about five or six good ones and five or six bad ones <laughs> uh, so let's talk about that so hey we got Connor here and we got Pitt hello yes no Pitt has all up in you're in Cavan aren't you so just uh, tipping out through Christmas now packing on a few Christmas pounds as you do I'm working on that I'm, I'm halfway to my uh, my, my quick uh, turnaround into gout <laughs> gotta get all the uh, delicacies while you're back home oh, so you're your I was You're having I, I was having like uh like a blue cheese on toast for breakfast this morning. <laughs> oh, very fancy! Like uh, we went out for a family dinner yesterday evening, had a bit of Barbary duck, big Ooh. lump of duck because it's Cavan, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some chips with it because it's Cavan, of course. But like, yeah, it's just been you know Christmas here isn't too uh, crazy these days. There's not many youngins or whatever, so a lot of visits from the very wide family that I like wider family. Lots and lots of cousins, but other than that, been keeping pretty quiet, just catching up on some reading, catching up on some watching, just kind of doing all that kind of stuff, you know. I'm on now leg two of our three-leg tour around Ireland, so I'm now down in Kerry. Zara has better internet than I had up in Donegal, I think. So uh, you may get an improvement in quality or not, because I am still using my potato microphone, so uh, <laughs> the, the quality is not maybe up to scratch. But it was good, just went out for a couple of drinks, catching up with people, and uh, then we'll be shifting down towards Dublin at the end of this week. And uh, I'll be catching up with you down there and a few of the other guys. It'll be great fun. Yeah, having a wild card weekend, though there'll be one team missing that you would have been interested in, but in a happy way. Yeah, no, uh, so I suppose we'll, we'll fly straight on into it. We're actually recording this on Black Monday, so we'll, we'll probably end up with hearing about people getting fired as we're recording as well. But uh, the playoff teams have been set. Uh, the AFC number one seed is Baltimore, number two, Kansas City. Oh, uh, yeah. Number three, New England Patriots. Number four, the Houston Texans. Number five, Buffalo Bills, and number six, the Tennessee Titans. So, yeah, that's a pretty decent shakeout in the AFC, I think. Like, the other teams who are fighting for the sixth spot, the Raiders and the Steelers, they, they, they weren't really contenders. Tennessee are a, as, and we're probably going to this a little bit later on, are a much more dangerous team in that sixth seed than I think maybe some of the teams in the higher slots are. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we'll talk about this more if they get further than we expect, or further than they might expect as a number six seed. But yeah, Tennessee in the back half of the season, ever since they turned over the uh, quarterback position to Ryan Tannehill, have turned into, by all accounts, one of the best teams in the league. Like their combination of A.J. Brown going crazy and Derrick Henry just going absolutely, like just running over teams, particularly in the second half, has just you know made them a formidable team. I wouldn't take them lightly, whoever they're playing. And, you know, I definitely put them up there, perhaps closer to the top one and two seeds than perhaps the five and four seeds at the moment in terms of quality and potential to create a lot of upsets against those better teams. No, of course. Uh, we will be going on to the into depth because we're going to go into the wildcard games. But uh, the big upset, obviously, with this is New England losing their game to Miami, which we'll, we'll discuss the games in detail. And Casey winning against the Chargers, which then meant Kansas City gets the bye week. They get the number two seed. And New England have to go on the road, well, later on if they survive the first round, but this is the first time this decade 
that the yeah. Patriots will not have a uh, buy in the playoffs. Exactly ten years, I think, to the to the day about basically since they uh, ended up in that situation. And uh, long may it continue. To be honest, we could probably oh, do it a bit more diverse. No, of course, but no, it's a good one. The NFC, I think, there was a lot more potential for movement. Everything kind of stayed roughly where we expected it to stay. So number one seed is the 49ers. Number two, Green Bay. Number three, New Orleans Saints. Number four, Philadelphia Eagles. Number five, the Seattle Seahawks, your boys. And uh, number six, the Minnesota Vikings. So, yeah, shockout as expected. We'll talk about the games directly. But uh, that San Francisco-Seattle game, there was a chance there for a bit of a shake-up. But this is yeah. approximately where I expected. I think the only major question we'd have with this would be, I don't think we'd currently look at Green Bay as necessarily being a better team than New Orleans on paper yeah. at the moment. Oh, that, that buy is always huge. We know what effect that has in your playoff hopes. Mm-hmm. We also know they'll be in Lambeau Field. We know what effect that has on Green Bay in terms of having that fan base there. They're absolutely rabid by all accounts. You know, for Seattle, winning for them was probably less important than them winning for New Orleans and Green Bay, who would have went into the one and two seeds respectively. Um, I think for Seattle, they'll end up playing Philadelphia. They'll probably be, that's roughly as bad as probably playing Minnesota. So yeah, they lost their chance to get a bye with their lost Arizona last week. Um, so in the end, yeah, it's a tough loss against the division, losing the NFC West. But for playoff purposes, I don't think they're too much worse off. And uh, for San Francisco, after what's been a really good year and maybe a little bit of a, a wobble towards the end, they do manage to sneak into a number one seed. And that's obviously a huge difference maker going forward. But we'll be talking about all these people even more as the as the weeks go on. Uh, before that, we have to talk about some of the lesser teams and their tribulations uh, as yeah, we go on. So it's, it's, it, as I mentioned, the Black Monday slash Black Sunday, some of them get a nice jump start and just go straight for the, uh, oh, it's, it's 9 p.m. Uh, Irish time. It's time to give you your P45. So Cleveland head coach Freddie Kitchens has been fired after a loss to Cincinnati in week 17. It's not a good look for Cleveland. Another kind of one-and-done coaching hire. He was with the team beforehand. They made the decision to keep him other, over other options. But to be fair, we, we, we've been complaining about him for most of this year. He didn't have a handle on that job. He was too inexperienced, didn't know what he was doing. His locker room is in disarray. There was players shouting at him on the sidelines. And as you mentioned, the come-get-me players trying to get out of there. They have to do something. But as I said, the problem with this is I think the issues in Cleveland are a lot more deep-seated than just the head coach. Yeah. And they need a lot more work than just shit-canning a first-year head coach. To fix. Yeah, and like the Haslams are quickly devolving into the Snyder tier of bad owners, the ones yeah, who just... Snyders. Yeah, they just can't. they just can't get the job done. They've had so many coaching changes since they were brought in, and I think just about six or seven years ago at this point. I think they've had five or six head coaches since then. And the one that they trusted for a second year was one who went zero and 16. So interesting. So yeah, like Freddie Kitchens, he obviously was highly inexperienced coming in as a head coach. A lot of hype around this team. But the truth was that, yeah, he just, he didn't have any discipline on this team. Um, mm-hmm. whether you're talking about the Miles Garrett incident, um, with the helmet hitting, hitting Mason Rudolph and his reaction to that and wearing the stupid t-shirt, the way that players have been actively complaining and sniping at each other or saying their personal opinions it's just you know basically you could not pick a more uh, anti-good organization you can look at something that's less like the new england patriots or the baltimore ravens it was just a complete that, mess he was, he was the offensive coach the yeah. reason he was because he got on well with baker and got that offense tipping away they brought in a load of additional pieces they were a more skilled offense and the offense failed to produce entirely it was what like week seven or eight before it started to get anything going 
And even then, it was dysfunctional. Maybe he needs to go back to being an offensive coordinator. Maybe he needs to learn what he's doing a little bit more. The strength that got him the head coaching job fell away as well. So it's yeah. just... So I would say that the defense had its its say in their lackluster performances as well. It was only average at best. So yeah, I think just Cleveland, given the hype was that was there, given how high expectations were, and given how disappointing it it ended up being as a season, yeah, like this is you know I'm not a huge fan of firing coaches after one season, but I think in this case, given the way the whole team and organization is is busy wallowing in in discipline and, and sniping, then you really do have to clean house and hopefully bring in someone who can bring a bit of order to it. Probably maybe we look at, well, as, as it always is, a reaction to the previous mistake, perhaps someone more experienced and someone who can actually get them under control. So there's also reports that a number of other ones, some of these might be confirmed by the time that this uh, podcast gets to you, but the reports indicate that we are expecting Dallas head coach Jason Garrett to be gone. And like, yeah, that's way overdue. Uh, Jacksonville head coach Doug Marone is rumoured to be gone, but the team have come out and said this isn't going to happen, but they've done that kind of thing beforehand. Oh, we don't want to trade our number, our, our, our top cornerback. Well, unless. And uh, <laughs> head coach Pat Shermer is on the chopping block. Yeah, well. so basically Jason Garrett is basically a fait accompli. That is almost yeah. busy. It's going to happen. It's only a matter of whether they want to wait to Wednesday when his contract expires and maybe save like 10 quid, or Jerry Jones wants to make a point by firing him quickly. Uh, I'd probably put my money on the f- on the latter, to be honest. We'll talk about it next week when it's confirmed, probably. But yeah, like it's well deserved and and you know plenty of reason to believe that Jason Garrett is a bang on average coach, and for a team which is in a window where they have to win because they have so few draft picks, they have so much money locked up, they need to bring in someone who could just get performances going immediately. Someone like a, a Jim Harbaugh or someone like that, because right now the Jason Garrett eight and eight experience. It has had occasional ups, but too often it's just gone back to that Jeff Fisherian type of situation. Marone, I would expect to get fired. We'll talk about that more next week. But yeah, the team is both humming and hawing, and they did win in week 17. So maybe that'll change it. And just to mention, like week 17 probably was was reportedly important for why Freddie Kitchens got fired because they lost in Cincinnati. But that's a crazy way to run a team. But small <laughs> side note. And Pat Shermer is basically up in the air from official reports. But he does not expect to be there next year. I think that's probably gone. And, you know, in the Giants, there's a lot of young players right there. So you could probably go for a more developmental coach and try and build them over a multi-year project. Prices that aren't getting fired. So uh, Atlanta head coach Dan Quinn, they came on well in the back half. The players were still playing for him. He looked like he was definitely gone around week eight or week nine. But yeah, just the last couple of weeks, he's he's come back. Uh, Detroit head coach Matt Patricia, they've come out and said that they're going to stand by him for another year and the GM for another year. And you're just head coach Adam Gase is considered safe, which is a bit of a surprise to me because I think he was a huge part of why they weren't yeah. succeeding. Like the Dan Quinn situation, he got them to a Super Bowl a couple of years ago and he had a good end of season, so the players obviously still like him. Makes enough sense to kind of give him one more chance. Matt Patricia, he has the excuse that the quarterback got injured and, you know, they didn't they didn't give up towards the end of the year. I think they just had a complete lack of talent due to injury. And yeah, the one that sticks out to me is Adam Gase, where I think you know, he didn't, well, he had some injuries on the defense and sure there was like some knocks for, and like Sam Darnold missed a bit of time with Mono, but even when they were at full health or near it, you didn't see anything that gave you an indication that this is a head coach who can take down to the next level and compete in, you know, an ASC East, which is now pretty competitive. Um, so for me, Adam Gase, 
he still seems like the emperor's, you know, the emperor's not wearing any clothes in that situation. Maybe he can prove me wrong, but I have very little reason to believe that will come true in 2020. No, I like because the thing is, I like I like the makeup of the team. I like some of the pieces they have, and he's the concern I'd have with them. We mentioned previously that Ron Rivera, the head coach of Carolina Panthers, had been fired. He's now been heavily linked with the Washington um, Zungus head coach position, and essentially all reports are suggesting we're just waiting for confirmation of this at this point that it is a yeah. done deal. So we'll we'll do it in detail probably next week when we have confirmation. It'll probably be confirmed by the time you're listening to this, but basically just to give him brief basically uh, an organization where they're deciding to go to a kind of, I suppose, a solid team organization type of person. They have some of the pieces that they're looking to build around there and their quarterback and their running back and they have some defensive pieces. Um, they probably need to add a few difference makers if they're going to compete. But they're not in a bad position talent-wise. They just need to be coached up. But I do think it's interesting that, of course, because this is the Mizungus, what's going on? Oh, there's some internal power battles where apparently Bruce Allen, who has already effectively been demoted, is apparently going to go get fired. And up to last week, apparently thought he was still being GM and now is basically going to be out the, out the door and had no input into this decision, apparently. So in the Snyderverse, there is only turmoil and hatred, just like the DC Snyderverse. It is a complete and utter mess. I was going to say, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely space for some kind of Twitter account of uh, release the Snyder cut. <laughs> uh, we'll move on. We had a couple of injuries to some of the playoff-bound teams this week. Kansas City safety won. Thornhill has injured his knee during the game. Looks like he's likely gone for the season. We'll have confirmation this afternoon on that, but uh, it did look like it was going to be a bit grisly, kind of something like what happened to the uh, Derwin James of the Chargers last year. It kind of looked quite similar to that injury. So hoping he'll be all right, but I don't expect him to be back. It does leave the opening, as you can imagine, immediately the rumors started swirling. What? What do you mean Eric Berry is not on any roster? <laughs> ah. Sorensen would be the uh, backup there, would he? He would, yes. Yeah. So Dirty Donnelly stepping in, I'd imagine. It's a, it, it's a, it's a big knock because one Thornhill has been playing extremely well, particularly in the back half of the season. It's been a real anchor to that defense. So yeah, it, it, it's a knock. Hopefully, one that they can survive. They've got a week of uh, a bye week now to try and plan around it at least, which is good. But uh, I would expect to see a couple of people coming in off the street for for a bit of tryouts just to see if they're healthy for depth, see if there's anyone surprising who turns up outside of that. But yeah, bad knock for Kansas City going into the playoffs. Philadelphia guard Brandon Brooks has injured his shoulder. And Miles Sanders, their running back, has injured his ankle and is like very much no one knows what's happening with him likely week to week. They got a lot of production the like four foot ten tall yeah, uh Boston Scott. Scott. Yeah, Boston yeah. Scott. I was gonna say Bart Scott, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he's looked pretty good, and they've also, Howard is now back, although they didn't use him very much in the game at all, so they do have some options at least, but also losing a starting guard potentially is a bit of a knock whenever you're going in to be facing, is it uh, Cloudy and that will be really coming up. Like this is a team that its late season you know, ability to get up to nine wins and get the NFC East was based a ra- lot around their running backs, both in the pass and in the run game. Uh, Miles Sanders has been very effective, I think Boston Scott's a bit of a jitterbug, if you give him an open hole, he'll take advantage of it. If you get him in the pass game, That's he's so dirty. He's very good. But perhaps if you if you have to get those tough yards, someone like Miles Sanders would probably be better than that. Uh, though they have Jordan Howard maybe to take over a little bit of that role, but he's so much more one-dimensional than Miles Sanders. And yeah, Brandon Brooks is one of the best guards in the league, so that is a bit of a knock. But, you know, like the Philadelphia Eagles are hitting, getting hit knock by knock every single week. They're down, you know, three, four receivers, 
the Zach Ertz was out this week. He may or may not be able to play this week. So for Philadelphia, it's just more difficulties that they have to fight through, and we'll see if they can do that on wildcard weekend. Oh, of course, and Houston, this is a more of a positive note, defensive end J.J. Watt has now been designated to return from IR from them, which means that he can now come in and join them uh, for the playoff run. So he's been presumably working hard in his cabin, getting himself rehabbed and ready to go, <laughs> listening to some Fort Minor and, you know, just praying that the cameras aren't watching. But one interesting note is that he he admits himself that he has probably brought himself back a little bit earlier than he should. So there's very much a chance that within like the first quarter he'll have retorn it and be out all next season. But yeah. uh, he's obviously for this playoff run, given his age, given his injury profile, he's willing to take that risk to try and get them further into the playoffs. We've also got some positive notes. It's not just injuries that happened this time of year. Some players are getting paid. Baltimore have decided to uh, extend quarterback Marcus Peters, who they acquired via trade this season. Which, to be fair, outside of the uh, Minka Fitzpatrick trade, looks to be the steal of the season. He's been playing excellently for them on that Ravens defense. He's received a three-year, $42 million contract with $32 million guaranteed. This is interesting because one of the knocks on him going around up to this point was that teams didn't want to pay him because they didn't think that he was necessarily the most effort guy, the most locker room guy. But it's nice to see he's, he's fit really well in Baltimore and plays well in that scheme. So I kind of wish him all the best in it. And that's like, it's a decent payday with a decent bit of guaranteed money, but it's also, it's not like top of the market money. Like, he's, yeah. he, he, he's affordable for a Baltimore team that's still got a lot of rookies. Yeah, and there's two factors here. Like, really, one is Baltimore. We know it's a good organization. We know it's a team that always stocks up on leaders, including their head coach, Harbaugh. So I think, you know, you need that kind of situation to get Peters to be a productive player at all. And I imagine that they'll continue, that they believe that they can do that. I think also the fact that since he's left the Chiefs, his you know career's gone a little bit up and down until he got back into Baltimore, may have knocked a little bit of humility into him mm. and a little bit of a lesson about how fragile an NFL career is. So he might have, even with this payday, they, they probably hope he can continue to be a productive player. Always, there's always a risk. I mean, he's obviously a high risk, high reward type cornerback, but I think in what is a very solid defense overall and that scheme is, is very well implemented. You know, they can afford to have someone like that. Um, almost like, you know, similar to how the Ed Reed back in the day was given the freedom to, uh, do what he needed to do to make those big plays. And Marcus Peters is that kind of ball hawk game changing type of talent. Yeah. When he's in the right system, that guy is, is a brilliant player. Uh, Houston defensive end or as a linebacker, Whitney Merciless has just received a four year, $54 million contract with only 24 million guaranteed so this is one that they can get out of pretty easily if they want they've also extended their punter brian anger <laughs> brian anger. i think every time i hear that i always think of that terrible um talica <laughs> saint anger yeah anger's most famous for being picked above uh, russell wilson i believe but uh, winnie merciless obviously probably you know he's been one of the most effective just you know getting his sacks every year defensive end slash outside linebackers in the league He's very effective, gets his job done. They obviously traded away Clowney. You know, J.J. Watt is obviously still in the team, but I think Merciless, they were looking for someone who's just a team player, gets the job done rather than the flashy player. And, you know, for this type of money, for a defensive end, when you look at what, like, mediocre defensive ends are going to get in the offseason, I think you can be pretty happy with this deal. Yeah, no. And uh, the Mazungas, presumably this was Bruce Allen's last action as uh, <laughs> <laughs> GM was to extend the punter. Four years, 15 million for Tress Way. Yeah, he's one of the best punters in the league, to be fair. To be fair, you get a lot of practice when you're on a team like the... Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> Crime and punishment. Something interesting here. Robert Kraft might face felony charges for solicitation in Florida after the appeals decision to throw out the video evidence in his uh, 
rub and tug case. He could face up to five years in prison if convicted. It's interesting, although there's literally nothing that we can tell from this just yet as to uh, yeah. what happened. There's a likelihood here that they're, you know, obviously because they're, they're going to appeal and they're trying to get evidence brought back in. They're trying to probably up the ante and show the severity is, is, is pretty significant. You know, they've publicly stated now that Robert Kraft could face felony charges rather than the more typical misdemeanor charges associated with uh, solicitation. That's a big jump up in severity, um, as you say, in terms of like prison sentences and stuff like that. Obviously, we kind of expect this to go away once the video evidence is thrown out, but it seems like these Florida prosecutors aren't happy to just let it go. Maybe, you know, it's America. They don't want to be seen to be, uh, they don't want to do the re-election campaign better or something like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, this might rumble on a bit longer than we we're expecting based on this information. The other thing that turned up and kind of caught, we haven't controversy corners, it's just a weird one. Antonio Bryan worked out for the New Orleans Saints. So they said that they're only doing their due diligence and he posted up a photo of himself with like a waiver claim form or being cleared the waivers or whatever. He also seems to have a documentary crew following him, which seems like, given the ongoing history of what he's been up to, don't just create video evidence of it all as well on top of everything else. But yeah, so the NFL have come out and said, be on the commissioner's exempt list until his current legal issues are uh, passed through. So he's up in court for, I think, a civil case for sexual assault. He's under NFL investigation, so they wouldn't put him out in the field while he's under NFL investigation. Yeah, so essentially he worked out, but there was no, there's no chance of him actually getting to play, right? Yeah, no, not, not this season anyway. Mm. Uh, obviously, pending the outcome of that appeal and the NFL investigation, he could be back in 2020, but I would be very wary of putting him on there. But he is such a talented player that if he isn't being suspended for a whole season, then he probably will be back, unfortunately. Uh, I suppose we'll move on. We'll have a quick look at the Week 17 games. Okay, first up, Green Bay at Detroit, 23-20. to Green Bay just about get through this one and get their bye with a second-half comeback. But they were not kind of running through, not running through Rodgers like they normally did. This was all Jones, 143 yards and touchdown. Like, Adams, 93 yards and touchdown. This is interesting because, to be honest, I don't know how a team that's getting a bye and is the number two seed struggles against this Detroit Lions team. It was a weird type of game. Like, they were down 14 going into the second half. And then at the very end, they had to rely on a on a screen pass to Aaron Jones that went for, like, 30 or 40 yards to set up the walk-off field goal. So, yeah, they, they managed to get it done in Detroit. But, uh, funnily, this is like a microcosm of their season. Like, you saw some really good plays, like that screen pass, a couple of nice passes um, to Lazard and Adams. Um, but then you would see uh, kind of like the pick that uh, like that uh, Rogers threw. He just looked kind of half-assed. He was in the pocket for for a while, and then he's like, "All oh, right, I'm just going to throw it up." And then it was a pick, and it just looked. And this is in the fourth quarter, by the way, so this could have been very significant in the end if the Detroit Lions had had thrown down the field at this point. But he just looked, ah, whatever, I'm throwing it. And all the reaction shots of him were just like, even when they got the big plays, he was kind of. Uh, whatever he just doesn't look happy right now I don't know what the situation is like they're in such a good situation from the playoff situa- point of view but for whatever reason it just doesn't feel right right now and the de- defense which kind of completely annihilated Minnesota last week kind of was letting like 17 points against the Detroit Lions in the first half so I don't know about this Green Bay team we'll have to talk about them a lot more going forward but I suppose just to mention Detroit as you said they had a good first half they didn't let they didn't lost Kenny Galladay I think that made a huge difference in terms of their ability to, to do anything. And Amandola, I think, picked up a knock as well. 
And I think they, at the end of the day, they were reliant on their run game through on Johnson, who's actually looking okay on his comeback. And Ty Johnson had a big run. Uh, but then, like, like the highlight for them was like a trick play throw from Amendola to Blau, their quarterback, to get a, to get a touchdown. Uh, Patricia is coming back next year. They'll have Matt Stafford back next year. Maybe they can get some pieces back together to get them up to the next level. But right now, they just feel like an 8-8 eight eight team if they were all healthy. Um, nothing more. Oh, of course. Uh, New York Jets took on the Buffalo Bills 13-6. to Yeah, Adam Gase wins an ugly game against Buffalo backup. Buffalo playing 4D chess here. They've got their draft position locked in. They want to keep Gase in division. <laughs> so, you know, they win with two goal, two field goal misses, inefficient play. Barkley was playing with two, he threw two picks. Like, this was just a pointless game. Even at its best, this Jets team should have won by more than a touchdown against the backups for Buffalo. <laughs> like, yeah. this was just a bad performance all around. I don't know why this play, if this played into keeping Gase at all. Yeah, I just think Crazy Eyes needs to get out of there. He can't coach to save his fucking life. Waste waste of time. Don't watch this game. Miami at New England. This one was gas. I, I I was following this one very closely, as you might imagine. 27 to 24. Miami pushed New England into the wildcard weekend. And uh, Fitzmagic has a hell of a day. Beautiful pass to get... Uh, how, how do you spell this? Gesicki. yeah. To finish it up. Parker has a monster day. New England look awful. Their offense isn't doing a wild pile. Their defense isn't doing a wild pile. Fitzmagic is king. To be honest, like Fitzmagic, he only got a touchdown in this game, though it was the game winner. But all game, he had like New England Patriots coming right at them and he'd go under them and he'd go around them and he was just <laughs> twirling, like basically he thought he was Lamar Jackson. Uh, obviously <laughs> not quite the same uh, speed there, but he, he ducked under so many sacks. It was ridiculous. He, I think he's just having a hell of a time right now. Uh, and I certainly hope to see him on a decent team next year, whether that's Miami or another team looking for uh, someone who can who can start or be a backup, backup in inverted commas. And yeah, like Kasiki got the touchdown, but Devontae Parker, he's had a hell of a back end of the season. 137 yards here. He's just been blowing up. And, you know, for someone who's struggled so much early in their career, it'd be great to see him turn into one of the better uh, people in the next year. I wouldn't bet against, you know, drafting high in, in fantasy and end up him disappointing you. Um, yeah. And New England, yeah, like, like their run game was fine. They had five yards per carry. Their defense was solid enough. Like, you know, like, you know, they, they weren't great, but they were getting pressure on Fitzmagic and Fitzmagic had to work hard to get them their 27 points. But the pass game just reverted back to its inefficient form. You're talking like around 50% completion, but you're talking about like less than six, seven or eight yards per attempt. Like, and, and then obviously an interception here. Like, it's just like Tom Brady in this pass game is just doing nothing right now. If you don't have a pass game, you can't win in this league. Um, even if they just about managed to do that in the Super Bowl last year. But I think over four games, I don't think that formula is going to get it done. And, you know, whatever, like New England Patriots, you can never count them out, Bill Belichick, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, right now, they just took a shadow of, of a, a Super Bowl winning type team. As I said, New England have beaten two teams with winning records this entire season. The 9-7 and seven Eagles and the Bills once. That's it. Yeah. Like. Just or twice even like just just nothing nothing really. Prove much, us uh, wrong. Wait, don't prove us wrong. Please just lose in the wild card round. Uh, no, no, prove <laughs> us wrong. I would rather play the New England team than play the, <laughs> the Titans. So let them beat the Titans and then we'll take them on. Chicago, Minnesota. This is twenty-one to nineteen. This was a yeah. fairly pointless game, right? Yeah, Chicago won on a on a basically a walk-off field goal. Trubisky was fine, but not great. 
But Dave Montgomery had nice games. So that's nice. And for Minnesota, it was all their backups. The only nice highlight was that uh, Boone, their backup running back, he might get some more reps because Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison are carrying some knocks, was like 150 yards and a touchdown. And they had some solid D from their defensive backups. But like, yeah, I think for Chicago, what are you going to do with Trubisky? I don't fucking know. I would probably get rid of him. But for Minnesota, yeah, nothing lost. I suppose it would be nice to, to give it up to the, to the the Chicago Bears in the final week with your backups. But yeah, it's grand. Oh, of course. Uh, Chargers at Kansas City, 21-31. Kansas City get the number two seed with the win and the loss, obviously, by New England to Miami Dolphins. Uh, Williams scored a nice touchdown at the end to kind of close it out. He had a good day, 124 yards and two touchdowns. Mahomes didn't feel wild pile, like just shy of 200 yards, touchdown interception, but defense stepped up quite nicely. The game plan here confused me because it was a really, really, really boring game plan. <laughs> it was, we're going to do absolutely nothing, and we're going to expect that Phil Rivers is going to make mistakes, which he does. Yeah, yeah like... Two picks in this game. Yeah. yeah, there was just... It was it was, it was was bizarre, because it worked as well. And you, you constantly had that feeling of, oh, well, if anything happens, they'll just turn it on, and they can go score a touchdown or two if they want, but they just want nothing apart from escape with no injuries and, like, score watch the New England game and see what's <laughs> happening there. To see, like, basically, maybe they were waiting at the last second. They could throw the game and then get to play the Bills instead. <laughs> it was a solid yet very boring win and the Chargers team that's still shooting itself in the foot. There wasn't yeah. a wild pile in this apart from, obviously, the injury to Juan Thornhill. I think in terms of, like, the meaningfulness of the game, I think, obviously, it meant huge things that they won. But, yeah, for KC, it seemed like they were playing within themselves. But seeing Damian Williams go off is good because he was very effective late last year. It'd be nice to see him back there. I think Philip Rivers, this is quite likely his last game for the Chargers and was very typical of his last few years here. Two touchdowns, two interceptions. There's a lot of talent on this roster, so I, this definitely isn't one you just want to put a rookie in there unless you believe that they're, you know, have the talent to be make that yeah, worthwhile. Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the offseason. It'll be very interesting to see where they are next year. Uh, but I think just finally just a shout out to Kevin Harlan, the uh, commentator on the TV cast, um, who was doing simultaneous commentating on this game and the Miami game. While the last two scores came in, Damian Williams scoring a touchdown, he then just started commentating on the final Fitz Baba Magic touchdown as well. <laughs> and the, his, his co commentator is like, which, which game are you commentating? It's like, I'm doing both! I'm doing both! <laughs> and Kevin Harlan, he, he's well known for his very uh, colourful commentary. He's known for doing the uh, the man is drunk type of commentary yeah. for like, like a San Francisco game. So shout out to him, breaking all the rules to make it a more special experience for the viewers at home. Uh, Cleveland at Cincinnati, 23-33. to 33, The uh, game that got Kitchens fired. Yeah, and he was fired by Mixon, basically. You know, another Joe Mixon goes crazy game. He's had a lot of those in the back half of the season. 176 yards, two touchdowns, and the, the defense got its takeaways from Baker Mayfield. You know, Dalton didn't really do anything, so I think they're moving on from him. Joe Burrow, based on his seven-touchdown, or sorry, eight-touchdown performance in the college football semi-finals is pretty much checked in in Cincinnati. Yeah. Cleveland, they end on a bum note. There was a couple of like nice TDs, particularly really nice one to OBJ, but you know, those nice moments are overwhelmed by, you know, the mistakes, the turnovers and yeah, Kitchens is gone but you'd have to wonder how deep the rod is in this organization and whether they can fix it with just a coaching change. Yeah, I don't think so. New Orleans and Carolina, 42-10. to 10. Like, yeah, simple one for New Orleans. The steamrolled them. They were up by over 30 points in the first half. Breeze looked good. Defense looked good. Carolina's backups doing nothing. Two interceptions. Carolina just are doing nothing. Christian McCaffrey gets his 1,000-1,000 season. 
he's good for the rest of the team, not so good. Yeah. They need to figure a lot of stuff out. everything else. Next up, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, 28-22 in overtime. Yes, the perfect Jameis ending to the year. He he throws a pick six to lose the game in overtime while simultaneously getting the fabled over 5,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, 30 interception season. The most Jameis of Jameis does that, does stat that, does lines. That, does, that, does that leave them at 8-8 eight and eight on the season as well? No, they were 7-9, and nine, unfortunately, oh, in the so season. so close. <laughs> they would have had the win, unfortunately, for that case. But we got the the everything else was perfect. Like Jameis Winston, rumors are that they are considering bringing him back. And to be honest, him and Arians, him and Arians is the most hilarious yet pointless like QB coach relationship in the league. It's so much fun to watch. It's so much fun to see how it goes, but it's never going to win you anything. Like Tampa Bay were as reckless as ever here. Uh, Perryman went for over 100 yards and a touchdown. And Shaq Barrett, just a note, got the sack leader um, with three sacks here. He ended up with the most sacks in the league. Atlanta, I suppose they were there and they, you know, they got a, they, they, they won in overtime and they had a nice touchdown to their offensive lineman, Tyson Braglio. That's a nice trick play. I think Quinn has earned one more shot based on the back half of the season. And we can see if they can finally put something together and maybe compete for that Super Bowl ring that they missed out on. Uh, what's two years ago now at this point? Mm. Indianapolis at Jacksonville 20 to 38. There's a surprise result from Jacksonville stepping up. Minty Magic back out again. Nearly 300 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. They didn't have a great back half of the season, but they, I think they're coming back around on it. They've got a little bit of something with this guy. They can have a bit of fun with him, if, not, if, if nothing else. Fournette, like he wasn't always, here, and I thought they looked, I thought they might have played better without Fournette, to be honest, because they, yeah. they didn't try and force it. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, I think they were trying, they, they've been trying to get their value out of the fact, out of him because they drafted him so high. And maybe, maybe this will change it a little bit. Brissett didn't look good in this sub 50% completion, sub 200 yards, two, for something like this Indianapolis team, after all of the excitement and hype, and I know there's injuries and stuff, but like, they looked great for the first maybe six weeks of the season. And then they just fell apart and they've been staggering their way. Yeah. I think maybe, you know, Seeing Brissett struggle a bit might be better for the team in the long run because it'll make them more strongly consider going out there and getting, if not a, a replacement, someone who could compete with him and kind of be a, a 1A, 1B type situation. Because I think Brissett, he, he is a fine quarterback, but I don't think he's accurate or, or quite good enough to really carry a team. He's definitely just a kind of mid-level, lower-end trailer type quarterback. Yeah, no, 100%. Philadelphia at the New York Giants, 34-17. to Philly wrap up the NFC East as second half blitz where they were just cutting away this Giants team who, for the initial part, stayed pretty competitive in this. Like we mentioned earlier, the little tiny guy Scott impressed well. 54 on the ground, 84 through the air, three touchdowns, uh, really kind of making up for the fact that Sanders was out for a lot of the game. Saquon looked good again, a bit healthier, over 100 yards, but... Yeah, just a uh, little bit of explosiveness lacking on this Giants team. And yeah. the Philly team, they, they came in knowing that all they had to... They, they, they had a reason to win this game. <laughs> like, the, the funny thing about the Giants is, like, the one thing that they need is, like, just that kind of game-changer to go with Saquon. But they traded that guy away uh, at the beginning of the season. So, yeah. yeah. And, like, Daniel Jones, there's a lot of promising things about him. He's played some pretty good games, but his turnovers have been Jameis-like. And if he wants to improve and be a, and make them a, few, a contender going forward he needs to cut that shit out the forced fumbles have been horrible he's thrown a few too many picks and yeah if he wants to avoid that Jameis type career he needs to do that but the one nice thing as well as about turnovers is that 
unless he has literally Jameis levels of stupidity that can be coached out of him. He just needs to get into a better scheme and be taught right and then hopefully they move on. And for yeah, the Eagles will talk about them a lot going forward. But uh yeah, I think they they they've they've had so many injuries that the fact that they gutted this out, they kept it close, their defense showed up and the run game kept going and they've had so many people lost, including offensive linemen, you know, fair play to them, great win and they got the job done. The Rams twenty 20- Four to thirty-one. Yeah, very kind of sad game, really, because both teams have nothing really to play for. Like the Rams were solid. Goff looked comfortable. They didn't really get any pressure on him most of the game. And like their guys who looked good in twenty eighteen, like Cup Woods, Cooks, and Gurley, all made enough plays. Arizona showed their usual flashes, but they had like four turnovers in this game, and I think that in the end, it's very hard to win when you have that many turnovers. Like I think they're a really interesting team in terms of their offense going forward, but. Like their defense needs some serious upgrades because outside Patrick Peterson and he's aging and Chandler Jones, there's just not that much to hang your hat on right now. So for Arizona, I don't know, like Steve Wilkes needs to get up in order and get some, uh, get on the phone and make sure they get some talent in there and maybe a wide receiver one to go with that. Yeah, Pittsburgh and Baltimore 10 to 28. The quality shows through when Baltimore's backups are that much better than this. Hey, we're going to sneak into the playoffs and surprise some people, Pittsburgh. Fuck off. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like they're fucking terrible. Hodges had like a 35% completion rate, 95 yards, forced fumble and a safety. Their run game was okay, and their pass defense was okay. Uh, Baltimore just ran all day on them, uh, beating the team rushing record set in 1978 by New England. Yeah, like the weather wasn't great, so Tucker had to do a lot of work with his leg, but like, there was never a moment in this game where it looked like Pittsburgh was going to win. Like you know. this, this looked like the Joe Flacco era Baltimore Ravens, and yeah, I think it just gave an indication of like Baltimore are still a solid team even without Lamar Jackson. But Lamar Jackson gives them that extra kind of superpower that turns them into the probably the Super Bowl favorite right now. No, of course, uh, Tennessee at Houston, thirty-five to fourteen. This was a lot more one side was expecting, but I think. Houston sat a lot of their starters for this one, which yeah. they had told us they wouldn't. The lion little fibbers. <laughs> well, they kind of went back and forth uh, during the week, and uh, like to be honest, like I don't know if their starters would have done much better on the defense uh, or the offense because like Tennessee just like ran out their usual plan, keep it close enough in the first half, and then hey, Derrick Henry, uh, you want to just run all over them? <laughs> like their first, their their first drive in the second half, I think was nine runs, touchdown. They just ran right over this defense and they, that defense couldn't touch them. AJ Brown showed up again, of course, over 100 yards in the touchdown, but Derrick Henry and that like offense with AJ Brown is kind of your play action monster. It's a very scary offense. Their D is kind of shit right now. That's the one maybe issue that they have, but yeah, like they're a scary team and Houston backups were fine and McCarron, whatever, but, uh, yeah, their defense hasn't really done much and I'm not sure how much better they'll be with their starters, even with the return of JJ Watt. We also had Oakland at Denver, fifteen to sixteen. Yeah. Oakland, it's it's very Oakland to womp like, womp. Stopping the Oakland Raiders with a failed two point conversion. <laughs> like, yeah, so they were already eliminated. They already knew they were eliminated by the time the uh, two point conversion came up. But uh, yeah, like the offense was ugly as usual, inefficient as, uh, as usual, and was just punctuated by a couple of really big plays for Waller, Renfro, and Washington. DeAndre Washington, the running back, and yeah, they're just. I don't know. Like, we'll see what they're like next year, but I'm not sure where the growth area is for. Maybe a wide receiver one would be good. Maybe one who doesn't, uh, isn't crazy would be useful. And then, yeah, like, Locke was solid for Denver, uh, but the defense led the way. I think, you know, in mile high in Denver, they have a bit of hope for the future, but they just need to keep building, um, talent on both sides of the ball. 
um, to kind of really kind of get in among the Chiefs in the AFC West. We then had the other adventures in NFC East fun times. The Mazungus at the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys dismantled them 47-16. So, yeah, like Zeke dominates an uneven first half. Gallup, who I think was my pick for surprise player of the year. Yeah. He did pretty well, 100. He has uh, three touchdowns in this game, just shy of 100 yards. Yeah. Like, like he was mostly dabbing on them late. Like, they were already ahead, and it's like, okay, we're not going to get through Philly or winning. Okay, let's just, like, annihilate this team as a, as a kind of... Scream of frustration. Yeah, basically, like, Keenan, fine. Peterson did okay, but, like, they weren't egged for anything, and they looked it, to be honest. Dallas were just, like, I presume just they're they're essentially using this as a tape for, hello, new perspective, uh, like, head coach, please keep me next year. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is surprisingly motivating from the looks of the score. Yeah, and eight, eight, eight and eight is back for Dallas, like, all that hype. That they've built when they when they did okay the last couple of years, and they suddenly come right back to the Jason Garrett special. Yeah, so Gallup was over a thousand yards and six touchdowns on the year. Yeah. Not bad. A uh, lot cheaper fin- than Amari Cooper, anyway. Yeah, and finally, uh, San Francisco at Seattle, twenty six to twenty one. Seattle have a comeback and were very close, but then got stuck at uh, the end. San Francisco dominated with Debo doing a great job, over a hundred yards and a touchdown. Kittle and Moser getting the job done too. I saw uh, it was it was kind of weird to see a beast mode touchdown again. Yeah, <laughs> and he was flying over there, and he definitely looks a bit step slow. Like we'll see what he looks like against Philly. Travis Homer, their backup running back, probably looked like more game ready. But I think beast mode will probably take over their power back duties. But he's maybe a little bit too close to Eddie Lacy uh, right now in terms of his speed <laughs> and uh, physique. But uh, yeah, like Seattle, they gave San Francisco a big lead to work with. Um, they worked their way back into the game, but their defense couldn't stop anyone. I know there are, a lot of people are injured and a lot of people are like playing injured as well. Um, but San Francisco just dominated this game in offense mostly and only a few like big splash plays from Seattle, like Saxons and such really allowed them to kind of stop drives. So they just, they just can't stop the small solid plays. Like Russell Wilson and the rest look really good in the second half, but yeah, those slow starts are, are you know, the luck can, will run out eventually. Yeah, you came up an inch short. I suppose, very Seattle-like to a certain extent. They did have a PI call. They probably should have gotten third down on that final drive. But, yeah, I think given the game, given the quality of play, given the yards, San Francisco were probably good for the win, even if they only got it by an inch. Oh, of course. And we'll move on and we'll have a little look back on the year that was. So, in the question section this week, we had a couple of questions about, well, basically, how did we do on our prediction? So, we're gonna, we'll, we'll go through all of the, like, the, the end-of-year ones Whenever we get through the playoffs a little bit, maybe just coming into the into the world. So like our our players of the year, not kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh, so we'll say so our our preseason predictions that we made uh, for for wins losses. So overall records wise, I was wrong by eighty five wins. Yeah. Know. So this is this is literally just taking each person each team's record and subtracting the difference between the record they got and the record that we predicted. Yeah. And so like when, when, when you know when I, when I predicted the Bengals to win like nine or ten, <laughs> I was wrong by yeah. six. My seven, boring eight. strategy kind of. Yeah. Thing. So yeah. So Fitz was ahead on that. I I was out by eighty five. He was out by seventy. But then when we came into our game picks this year. Week to week. should definitely be listening to me more than you should be listening to Fitz. I got 165 right, so that's about 64 and a half, 65 percent. 
fits is 156 right here, right? By, by nine. Pretty minutes. comprehensive uh, battering of me in the picks this year. Well done. Yeah. And, uh, even, and that was even with us having a few fun ones last week as well. It's a bit of crack. And in terms of teams that got yeah. talked about the so most... So we, we like to be held accountable to the various team fan bases and letting you know who got screwed and who didn't. So this is the team mentions metric. This is kind of a rough measure of how much each team got mentioned in the podcast over the season. Yeah, so what you'll see here is we used to do the format of we just do one good game, one medium game and one bad game a week. And that meant that you'd get the, the teams who get mentioned the least are those who are in the middle rather than those who are particularly bad. So hopefully that's changed around. So teams with the most mentions this year are San Francisco, Kansas City, and the Houston Texans, which is a bit of a surprise to me that they're that high up. Yeah. Um, there's also, there's also the extra factor of being involved in fun games and, and doing stupid things over the season. So three good, like, playoff level teams there. Yeah. The least mentioned teams are the Cincinnati Bengals, followed them by the Jets, the Bears, the Lions, and the Cardinals. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of to be expected there. I wish I would have expected a bit more mention of the Cardinals, given you know they were the hype train going in. Yeah, I just think they didn't get involved in that many great games, really. They, they kind of had a lot of fun games, but not too many relevant good games. Uh, Cincinnati just obviously were just terrible all year. Um, Detroit were the worst team, but they got mentioned twice this week, uh, thanks to their uh, decent game against Green Bay and <laughs> their head coach surviving and getting a bit of a shout-out. team does matter. <laughs> but these other teams, like the Jets and Chicago, um, they kind of fit both the current template of like bad teams, but probably would also have done badly last year on the they're just so boring uh, type of situation as well. They're just not good teams and they're not that interesting. Hopefully they can do better in 2020. Course, and uh, I suppose what we'll do is we'll do our preview so for the wildcard round. So we have four games finally here, the business end of the season. First up, Buffalo at Houston, and we're disagreeing from the off. <laughs> um, I've gone for Buffalo, and you've gone for Houston in this one. I suppose Houston are at home, they have rested their starters, although so does Buffalo. They've got some pieces coming back in the form of J.J. Watt. They've just paid Whitney Merciless so he can go a little bit more wild with a, with a bit more reckless abandon maybe now he knows he's got a lot of guaranteed money in there. But uh, this is a Buffalo team that's played very well this year, has a kind of dual threat at quarterback, has a good running game, has a very nice defense. And this is a Houston team that's kind of sputtered a bit the last couple of weeks. But like I think both these teams are kind of stuttering a bit into playoffs. Like when you look at the Buffalo Bills, like their most impressive win was probably over the Broncos and that's like 6 weeks ago. They just about beat the Steelers. They lost to the Ravens and the Patriots. They beat the Cowboys, I suppose, but we're not too valued in that right now. And I think like they kind of feel like a team that maybe has already peaked a little bit. And then in Houston, like Houston they have like they have peaks but they're week to week basically. Every given, any given week, the Texans are likely to be a, one of the better teams in the league or to be one of the worst teams in the league. They just kind of, it's very hard to get a read on them, but we know that the top end talent for Houston is quality. We know that Deshaun Watson is a great quarterback. We know that DeAndre Hopkins can get going. Will Fuller is questionable for this game, so they'll rely more on Kenny Stills. And I think the run game has been pretty solid this year, surprisingly. It's actually been better than expected. So for Houston, yeah, I wouldn't trust either of these teams week to week, but I kind of feel like Houston, if they need to pull something out late, if they need to do something crazy, I just trust Deshaun Watson and this gang to get it done more 
than Buffalo. I think Buffalo, you know, they, they have, like, like Josh Allen has definitely improved, but is still a very erratic quarterback. John Brown is, is, is you know, is good, but obviously reliant on those big plays. And yeah, Devin Singletary is a, is a very interesting running back, but he's not likely to pull off those really big plays. So I, I don't know, like, it's, it's the coin flip for me, but I'm going to go for Houston because A, because they're home, and B, just because I trust their upside a little bit more than Buffalo's. Yeah, I think this is the thing. I'm with you on that, that it's essentially a coin flip because there's there's strikes and weaknesses on both. The one that I'm focusing on is I don't trust Bill O'Brien at all as a, as a coach. I think Houston are fast becoming pretty much the Bengals of this wildcard kind of spot of this is a spot where they could prove me wrong, and I'm more than happy for them to do it. I'd like to see them in the next round play competitively because it's there. And I also think this Buffalo team has the potential to play quite similar with the big plays to, 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 to Brown and the solid running game in behind and the kind of smothering defense and maybe not the, yeah, like, I, I just, uh, I just got a feeling that Buffalo are going to do it. Tennessee <laughs> at New England. Oh, how sweet, how sweet it is. We both got for Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, is this so. your casting or, cause I said, I, I, I'd rather play New England at the moment than play Tennessee. Yeah, like I think Tennessee right now, they're the number six seed, but really they're carrying a first half record that does not match up with their second half of the season performance. They've just been, and their second half performances in general, like Tennessee right now, we talked about them. They are a dangerous team on offense. Like that combination of Derrick Henry and AJ Brown with Ryan Tannehill being just willing to throw the ball up to AJ Brown. And obviously able to run himself a bit if he needs to. It's just such a. It's. A, I think it's like a. Like there isn't a huge depth of options there. Though Johnny Smith's got a bit more involved recently. But I think the options they have there are just so explosive. Like AJ Brown, every time he gets like a five or ten yard uh, a catch, he has that chance of taking it all the way because he's such a monster to get down on the ground. And Derrick Henry, like six foot, like three hundred pounds, he's just like running true fools, like. Even against the game in Houston, there were like cornerbacks trying to pull him down, and he's just like, "Get off me! Like I don't give a crap about you." Yeah. And so it's just like that offense right now is just so fun to watch, and I just never thought I'd say that about Tennessee, to be honest. That even yeah, though their defense, like- even though their defense is kind of naff right now, particularly because their secondary is so banged up, like New England, are they good enough to take advantage of a bad secondary right now? In my opinion, probably not. So we know what New England need to do. They need to make this a you know, a street fight. They need to bring this down to being boring, uh, keep the ball, run the clock, basically what they did in the playoffs last year. But given where their talent is right now, given where their injuries right now, sure, they have a potential to do that. But I'm going to give Tennessee the benefit of that and say that they can get this done and make it a much more fun and interesting divisional round with them involved. Yeah, no, I genuinely, I just think, yeah, I think I think Derek Henry is going to be the decided factor and what's going to give them the edge of, they're going to be able to hold the ball off because it's one thing if you like that can be limiting or, or or not enough if you're playing a team that execute all the time like if you're playing a Kansas City Chiefs who will score or Ravens who will score then you can hold the ball but they'll as long as they get a possession back they'll score but this New England team is no longer the kind of guaranteed to score on 85% of its possessions kind of thing this is a team that's going to sputter and if you can then every time they sputter you're essentially doing what New England did in last year's playoffs to them if you take the ball for ten minutes every time they make a mistake, they'll make three or four mistakes, and that's that's why I'm siding with the with the Titans in this one. Yeah, Minnesota at New Orleans. We've both gone for New Orleans in this one. Well, look, New Orleans look like a little <laughs> bit of a juggernaut team at the moment. Uh, they're healthy. Breeze is looking good. They're at home. Their defense has looked good. They've got 
most productive wide receiver well, in the league. There's an algorithm, Connor. I'm, I'm told there's an algorithm that oh, you used to predict you're, you're this game. Oh, you want to do the maths? Yeah. New <laughs> Orleans are an above 500 team, and Minnesota are quarterbacked by Kirk Cousins. <laughs> QED. Yep. That it's is my prime entire time. rationale for picking them as Um They just can't be good teams. Yeah. That's it. Uh, and... Yeah, like New Orleans, like uh, like New Orleans are a little bit predictable, I suppose, because they're so reliant on uh, on Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and Drew Brees to kind of carry the entire offense. But those three players are all world class players, so it's not that big of a problem. Like Michael Thomas has been covered all season, and yet he can't can't guard Mike. It's been true again and again as he beat Marvin Harris's reception. Like I think New Orleans, their defense very very up and down, as we said. Hopefully they'll have their cornerback back, uh, Lattimore back to health, and then get everything else working. But yeah, I think New Orleans is just a much more solid unit. Obviously, they were my Super Bowl pick before the season, so I'm sticking with them. I suppose it is worth talking about Minnesota a little bit. Obviously, Kirk Cousins, huge game for him. Can he prove the debtors wrong? Spoiler, no. And then, of course, their run game, very reliant on Dalvin Cook throughout the season, but he's been hurt for the last month. They'll probably try and go back to them. He will be back for this game by all reports right now. And then, you know, they might have the mix in for Madison and Boone to keep him healthy. But I think their run game, their efficacy since he's been hurt has gone down a lot. And it's really exposed maybe the weaknesses of this team. Um, particularly think of that Green Bay team where they were, just, they were just shut down by that Green Bay defense, which struggled against Detroit this week. And you're like, I think New Orleans can do enough, maybe not to shut them down to that effect, but certainly to make their life trouble. And like, yeah, Minnesota's defense is pretty solid all over, but the one issue that they have is with boundary receivers. They have had a lot of trouble at cornerback stopping those big plays. And yes, like Michael Thomas isn't necessarily a big play machine in that sense, but I think, you know, you could see a couple of deep shots of someone like Ted Ginn coming off. And yeah, it's hard to point against New Orleans in this game. This is probably the most one-sided, in my opinion, of these matchups. And uh, yeah, I think if New Orleans lose, it's going to be a massive upset. Finally, Seattle at Philly, traveling up because they had the loss this week. Philly, you know, looking a little bit more resurgent of late. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, they managed to find production through their running backs and so on, rather than through their wide receivers. But this is a Seattle team that I think we both expect to be able to perform here. They've added in beast mode. They've got some good performance out of the wide receivers. They've got Russell Wilson bullshit magic happening all the time. Yeah, I think we're both going for Seattle here. Um, although yeah. it's not it's not purely. It, there's also a level of distrust of this Philadelphia team. Yeah, there. and like uh, people have been jokingly calling this the Band-Aid Bowl because both teams are so banged up at the moment. Like, like Seattle, I think the big thing for them is if they can stop the run game, if they can stop Miles Sanders slash Boston Scott and prevent Philadelphia being able to move the chains. Because I think if you can get Philadelphia into third and longs, they just they just can't get it done. Like they'll get a couple of them through Zach Ertz if he's is healthy. That, is Zach Ertz going to be healthy for this yeah, game? Yeah, we we don't know right now. I think they rested them this week, probably hoping that that would allow them to be healthy for this game. They have Dallas Goddard as well, but like you know now they're bringing out people like Greg Ward and their backup tight end, and you know it's it's a bit of a mess there. Like they're maybe hoping to get like uh, you know one of their like Nelson Aguilar back. Like that's how bad things are um, in Philly right now. So I think you know it's all about can they stop the run game, and if Jadavian Clowney is out there and is relatively healthy, that's what he's great at. Like his his pass rush statistics aren't there, but he is still an elite run defender. He swallows up those gaps. He makes running backs think. And if they can do that, and if Miles Sanders is a little bit banged up, that's the key to this game. And I trust that Seattle against a Philly team like this, which is so banged up, can 
just about get it done. For Seattle on the offense, it's the usual game plan. Try to run the ball through Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch and make those big plays to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and then maybe move the chains to Hollister. Like, it hasn't really changed that much. It's just efficacy has changed and waned given the injuries on the offensive line and in the running back core. Um, but I think they can do enough. It, it should still be productive enough um, to get it done here. But for Philly, yeah, like, they're so banged up in that offense it's hard to know what they can do if they get into tough situations so it's all about controlling the game keeping things easy for Wentz and Wentz is capable of doing some really good things he's been really good in the back after the season particularly in the fourth quarter and then on the defense I think they've picked up another couple of knocks in their secondary so yeah if they can keep the big plays from Seattle that would be huge for them um but I think roughly we're both seeing that Seattle little less injured a little bit more explosive but yeah, it, like Philly will probably still make this a grinding game. I don't expect this to be a, a fireworks display by any means, uh, and should probably still be a little bit close in my opinion. Yeah, no, it should be it should be a good one, and these are the ones that we're going to be uh, down in Dublin watching together with a lump of the uh, a lump of the extended uh, uh, all four quarters family. <laughs> yes, I'll be lording it over the uh, one of over my fantasy victories in your league. Uh, and in uh, in Harry's sixteen man crazy seventeen week league, uh, very impressive win. It's it's it was the it's kind of the league of a record among our friend group uh, for for various reasons. And uh, I'm very happy to celebrate it, even though none of you care because it's fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> well, rather, rather, it's a completely technically where you draft about two months before uh, OTAs have finished, so you'll end up with several players injured before the start of the season. Yeah. Some of them playing for different teams than when you drafted them. Yeah. Championship um, week is week 17. And it's also 16, man, and everyone does their homework, so it's quite difficult to start with. Um, <laughs> and this team, we even had a couple, we, we couldn't quite get the 16 men, so we created the auto-drafts, but using algorithms. One was value over replacement, one was uh, average draft position, and both of those ended up taking a few wins off, their, off many, many of the human players as well. Slightly better than, I think, the first year we had a PPR league. We had it won by the auto-draft machine. <laughs> but, uh, well, uh, our league commissioner cool. was, our league commissioner, former uh, presenter here, Harry, uh, hates the robots and would never, would, would, wouldn't would let the robots into the uh, various playoffs, even if they had won enough to do so. I disagree with that. I believe the robots deserve our scorn. Just uh, for or Yeah. <laughs> Rocco's, uh, Rocco's Basilisk will be pleased with my... Uh, deference to our future robot overlords. Possibly, possibly. The issue, <laughs> possibly you could have done more to ensure it got into the playoffs. Mm, I didn't fight that. But, um, yeah, so as always, drop questions to us on the Facebook group, on email, on wherever you can get us at. We'll be responding to some of them. We'll be in person down in Dublin, so we might have a few additions to the podcast next week. We might even record live in a room together, which will be, uh, been a long time since we've done that. <laughs> um, and uh but yeah i suppose for now happy days going into the playoffs bye for myself bye from Roman. bye well, for thanks for listening and we will chat to you next week